Hello, this is Ali DePew. And this is Kathleen Dent. <laughs> We're from Inspired Classroom and Mentoric Software, and we are building a community of mentors, elevating the practice of mentorship. This is a show about defining, refining, and discovering how mentorship can revolutionize learning. Today, I'm so excited to welcome our guest. We have Colleen Rudio from Cascadia Management Group. Colleen, thank you so much for joining us. It is my absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Yay! So I want to just start out. Um, will you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and what Cascadia Management Group does? Yeah, so we are a professional service organization. We come from a broad background, and that's why mentorship is so important to us. We actually have on our team teachers. We have um, professionals. Myself, I come with a banking background, an insurance background, legal background, accounting background. So we really have the opportunity to serve across multiple industries and all of our focus is around organizational development, advancement, and transformation. Thank you. And one of the reasons I'm so excited that you are on our show today um, is that you've been a mentor to me in particular, as well as Kathleen, for a really long time. I feel like when I was just cutting my teeth in the realm of entrepreneurship and becoming a business person, you were there. And over the years, um, I have been honored to have you pop back into my life at different points. And we were just working on a project together. And you've come back full circle. And I've always seen you as a mentor to, for me and for Inspired Classroom. And so to have you on our show talking about mentorship is feels really special today. Oh, so thank, thank you. Well, no, thank you. I, I'm a firm believer that we're all mentors. You know, every day we walk through our day and through our life. And there's plenty of opportunities to mentor in small and big moments. And, you know, it's, it's bringing that intentionality and that awareness into an organization and, and actually making it something that is special and meaningful to everyone around that I believe um, brings mentorship into a whole new light. So I love what you're doing. I love what you guys have, st have always stood for. It's been a pleasure to interact with you every single time our paths have crossed. And I think that there's um, a lot of wealth that can come out of a conversation. I love it. Well, thank you so much again. So I want to just start off. Tell me a little bit about the role of mentorship in business and, and what you see is so important. Mentorship in business is evolving. And I say that only because I believe that as each generation enters into the workforce, the previous generations have to take an honest look and reflect upon what is it that they need from us. If we are in fact going to be the ones who transition and transfer our knowledge and our expertise to the next generation that we'll be serving, we have to do that with full intention. And I reflect upon when I first entered into the workforce, um, you know, I was, uh, you know, I'm old enough and I'll say that to where, you know, back when I graduated from high school, you know, the girls took secretarial training and the boys took shop. And so as um, a very diligent secretary um, that went through those classes and learned to type on the old keyboards, um, you know, my first position was with um, the power company for the state of Montana right out of high school. And I remember walking into that office with such fear and anxiousness. And there was a woman there. Her name is Diane. And, 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 you know, we've remained friends over the years. And she took me underneath her wing. And she didn't take me underneath the wing from her view. She took me underneath what the wing from my view. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is what true mentorship is. It's a selfless act. 
It's an act to make sure that the other party is meeting their needs and, and that you understand what their needs are. So from a business perspective, it's always been there mm-hmm. and I think it will always be there and it's just evolving as far as how it's there. Oh, that's amazing. I couldn't agree more. And I can think of a couple times in my life where I've had similar experiences and been so thankful to those people um, when that moment arose because I wouldn't be where I am today. And Kathleen, I'm sure that you can say the same. Absolutely. Um, You know, and there's the formal mentorship relationship that some businesses, that some organizations have in place. Um, and those can either be very successful or just kind of minimal, just just in name only. But the most powerful um, mentorship experiences, I think, come from that kind of, whether it's serendipity or whatever, meeting of people who are in a like space and start those conversations and really um, see how they can give to each other. Because I think as a mentor, you get a lot out of things and also as a mentee. Um, Can you pick out maybe two or one or two uh, instances where um, that were very influential in your career, either for positive or negative? Oh, geez, one or two? I mean, the list list goes on. You know, Allie, I reflect upon one of the things that you just said, right? Um, I'm a firm believer that I am but a reflection of all those that have mentored me along the way. I look at how I approach my financial um, aspect of my business and how I advise others. And I see, um, you know, some of my great mentors from the accounting space, Walt Caro, Jim Gallopo, individuals like that that took the time to sit down and say, all right, you might not be as detailed-oriented as we are as accountants because I'm, that's not my space, but let us show you how being more detailed-oriented will help you be successful in your life and help you help others be successful. So I really think that, you know, there's, um, I can't count the number of people who have mentored me over the years. I truly can't. A couple of real significant ones. Um, Ron Price, you know, I'll I'll call Ron out. Um, He is one of the most kind, soft-spoken, intellectual um, individuals, patient that I've ever interacted with. And he mentored me on how to better understand me. Um, he's an individual that spent a lot of time, um, you know, in the professional development space, a lot of time um, understanding behavioral assessments and things of that nature. And that's not uncommon. We've all gone through those processes, but the way by which he mentored me was something that was unique and different. We now have a 15-plus year relationship. Mm -hmm. We both give to each other in different ways. Um, To your point, Kathleen, that's a shared relationship. Um, But he absolutely is one of those ones that stands out at the top of the list. So, Colleen, I know a lot of words are thrown around, and I really believe that vocabulary is super important. Yeah, words matter. They really do. Words matter. And the the longer I'm at this, the more I understand that it does because it builds that common understanding. And if we have a common vocabulary, then it's it's much easier to be on the same page and get things done. So there's a lot of words that are thrown around mentorship. There's instructor. There is guide. There's teacher, there's champion, there's advisor. Do you see similarities and differences? Is it all wrapped into mentorship or are there specific 
times or roles that need to be filled at different times for people? Yeah, first and foremost, I think it's situational. So if you're inside of an organization that is very structured and their mentorship program requires a lot of checks and balances, um, maybe that's because of risk risk mitigation purposes, maybe that's because it is, um, for example, my daughter works in the ER, right? And I will guarantee you she's been mentored, but it's been in a different way. So I do think situation matters um, as much as the words matter. For me, I believe that probably the words that I would most frequently use as it relates to mentoring is guide. Now, maybe that's because we're in Montana and we love (laughs) our fishing guides and our hunting guides and our wilderness guides and everything else that has guide associated with it. So I might have a, a bias towards guide as a word. But I do believe that the role of mentor is to guide another to a place beyond where they currently are in a manner that is meaningful to them and in a way that they can move past their experience with you and still hold on to the lessons. That's a really good definition. And I think it also implies that we don't do things for people. (laughs) We set up structures so that they can be successful, but then let them do things the way they need to do them. And, And you mentioned that before, meeting people where they are. Absolutely. But I do believe situationally now, there are times, um, and I'm going to flip over to manufacturing, right? In a manufacturing space, if I'm mentoring someone on how to utilize a machine, that machine just costs this organization and that business owner uh, millions of dollars for a single piece of equipment in a lot of cases. <clears throat> so I'm not going to just jump in and let them play with the machine um, or operate the machine. I'm going to have them read the documentation. I'm going to have them maybe take some uh, some tests. I'm going to have them watch me operate the machine. Then I'm going to watch them operate the machine. And then they're going to operate the machine independently. And then I'm going to come back and check in on them and mentor them in the areas that they need to improve upon. So once again, I'm going to reflect upon that word that I used earlier and that's situational. I really do believe that if you're an organization or an individual who's either setting up mentoring or trying to seek out mentoring, Look at the situation that you're in and the situation that you're trying to move through first and foremost. All of the rest of this, I think, can be layered on top of it very nicely. That's really a good point. And that's a big job for an organization, I think, to determine where where you start with Absolutely. these programs. And we can talk about that a little bit more. Allie, I think it might be time for Snakes in the Axis. Ooh. Well, should we, should we tell Catherine? <laughs> I'm really losing it today. Should we tell Colleen what snakes in the axles means? Well, I think we better. <laughs> <laughs> so we have an idiom in, in at an inspired classroom called snakes in the axles. It, due to an experience that we had traveling, and again, like Colleen, you said, we're in Montana. A lot of times we're taking 10-hour car trips to, mm-hmm. to get places, and we happened to be coming back from an event that – we had conducted and were, we were so tired and loopy and driving, driving, driving. And watching we, the wheat fields. Watching the in wheat Central fields. Central Montana, like, go past us. <laughs> right. It was so and lulling. The, the combines were, were <laughs> yep. out there doing it. And Allie just nonchalantly said, I wonder if on those big farm machinery things, if, the, if they ever run over snakes and snakes get in the axles. Well, of course, we laughed hilariously because we were so tired and so I punchy. <laughs> I love it. But, but then the more we talked about it, the more we really, it was uh, a good illustration of 
you're going along, you think you're doing the right thing, you've got your structures in place, you're trying to really grow a business or create something, and all of a sudden something gums up the works. There's these <laughs> snakes, and they might be little ones, they might be big ones, but they gum up the works and they keep you from moving forward. Yes. So I'm sure in your career you've experienced a snakes in the axle moment. Can you share maybe one of those moments with us and, and a little bit about how you overcame it? Absolutely. I mean, I have more snakes in my axle <laughs> as I have mentors in my life. So I think that that's, you know, one of the other things is that these sort of gumming up of our systems, gumming up of our experiences happens on a regular basis. Um, I, I'll share a couple of big ones. So I believe that probably the most memorable snake in my axle experience was when I was really kind of going into my very first interim position. So one of the things that we do is we work with organizations during major and significant and sometimes crisis transformations. Um, sometimes it's the result of mergers and acquisitions. Other times it might be bankruptcies. Sometimes it might just be, um, you know, industry shifts that have occurred. And I was going into a fairly significant new industry, and that's not unusual for us. Um, but what was unusual in this case is the pace by which I needed to be ready for that industry. And I did all my studying. I did all my reviewing. I took my intellectual approach, getting back to mentoring, right? I took my intellectual approach. I studied. Mm -hmm. I researched. I did everything I was supposed to do intellectually. I missed some big cues because I did not reach out to some of my trusted mentors in that space because I didn't have time mm. or I perceived that I didn't have time. And I missed some cultural cues. I missed some industry cues that were not perhaps out there in the masses. So I think that probably from a mentoring standpoint and from a, you know, getting snakes in your axle and getting your entire professional advancement gummed up. Um, for me, it truly was one of those moments where I knew the moment that I got into it, that if I had just reached out to a few of my mentors, I wouldn't have been in that same situation. So I think the result of that was frustration because I knew better, um, because I had, as I mentioned earlier, more mentors in my life than I could have ever counted. So it wasn't a matter of resources. It wasn't a matter of availability. It was personal choice to throw the snakes in my own axle. Oh, those snakes. It's it's kind of like my mother used to say, too. She, she'd say, you have to slow down to go fast. And sometimes the yes. biggest snakes are that we want to get things done. We want to move forward. We want to hurry up and, and, and get this going. And, and we don't, like you mentioned, we don't just stop for a minute, look around, ask people for help, and and take a minute, and then it would proceed much more smoothly without well, a snake. And I think that brings up sort of an interesting idea is that sometimes we want to allow a younger generation to come in and, and you, you alluded to this earlier, um, do things their way because they're going to bring in really incredible ideas and resources and thoughts. But there is something very important about staying connected to that older generation or people that have been in this space for a little bit longer um, to help smooth those transitions. Because I find, and I've found this a lot um, in in different industries, is that you see things going along and then somebody new comes in. And if there isn't that crossover, it's almost like there's a big gap or a big divide that happens and it, it shakes it shakes that company or that industry for a while. It does. And, you know, and, and I'm going to use, you know, next generation, current generation. Um, I'm going to use current 
role, next person holding that role mm-hmm. as the example. Um, you know, a lot of organizations, when they transition one person out, another person in for whatever reason, whether it be separation, um, whether it be that they chose to take on another position, whatever it might be, that in itself is a moment to reflect, mm-hmm. Kathleen, to your point, to take a step back, to pause, to say, all right, what worked, what didn't work with this position? What new ideas might we want to be open to for mm-hmm. the person coming into this position? And more importantly, where are our non-negotiables? Um, so th- within every single organization, every single position, there are certain elements of that position that are non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. If you are the CFO for an organization, it is not negotiable that you do not tie out the end of the month. That's just a non-negotiable. I don't. It doesn't matter whether the new person is from whatever generation they're in and whatever they bring forward. That's a non-negotiable. So I think clarity mm. and clarity around um, purpose and intention. I'm going to keep reflecting upon that is really important. And the best mentoring programs, coaching programs, um, onboarding programs that I've seen um, or developed really do allow for that space and that um, reflection um, before you jump in. That's important. And I think that's, it's huge coming from the education sector. It's those learning objectives and goals. And it's the same, it's the same idea. Um, And whether you are saying teacher, guide, mentor, advisor, you have to have some of those laid out at the beginning in order to be, the, the word is not successful because that's it's hard to measure, right? I think the word is more, you need to have it be effective. Yeah, and successful is fine though, Ellie. I don't think we should be afraid of the word successful. Mm-hmm. I mean, as an organization, you have an obligation to be successful in onboarding your people training your people, mentoring your people, and helping those people become effective in the jobs that they are performing for you. That's your responsibility. You either succeed at that or you fail at that, in my opinion. So I'm not afraid of the word successful um, from that standpoint. Um, And the other thing that I'd like to kind of bring out, which is, you know, a real important and critical component um, of any mentoring program is consistency. Mm -hmm. I mean, consistency in what you are communicating is impairment when it's looking at when you're, you know, when you're truly looking at what are we going to be sharing with others. I'm a big fan of recording um, what you can record, anchoring what you can anchor, documenting what you can document, and then leaving conversation for the interpretation and the application phase. Um, I think that there's a lot of times where organizations, you know, classify something as a mentoring program when in all reality it's not because Mm -hmm. it doesn't have a good portion. And I would be shooting for anywhere between 60% or 60 to 70% in my mind should be documented or pre-recorded with clear objectives identified. Um, with um, very, very specific outcomes before you move on to the next component of that relationship or of that mentoring um, or training. Mm-hmm. And then you leave that remaining 30 to 40% depend upon that person's experience um, based upon, you know, conversation, based upon observation, based upon some of those other components. Um, I really do believe that where businesses set themselves up to not be successful is in their lack of preparation and their lack of structuring as it relates to how they will mentor before they decide to mentor. Hmm. That's an excellent, excellent point. I'm wondering too, we're, we're kind of now in the discovery phase of this conversation and it's been an interesting 
couple of years understatement of the world, right? And I'm sure in your business it's been very interesting. But I'm wondering about discovering moving forward, um, you know, where a lot of people are now working from home. I don't think some of that's going to go away. I think people still are going to do that or there's going to be a hybrid of that. People who are new coming into the workforce but are working remotely and aren't connected necessarily as much. What do you see as the challenges that moving forward that mentorship can maybe help with in this new environment? Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna kind of go backwards a little bit, okay. if I may. And yeah. I'll answer that question, but I want to tell a brief little story. And it's a perceptional story. Um, when, in fact, the pandemic hit, um, I was um, honored enough to be serving as the interim executive director for the International Association of Better Business Bureaus. I remember specifically when I took on that interim position that there was this deep desire amongst the organization to kind of move to more of a centralized location workplace rather than the remote structure. We had employees across 17 states. And there was this deep desire to move in that direction of centralizing. When the pandemic hit, and all of the organizations across the entire system, that's, a, that's you know, 98 um, Better Business Bureaus across the entire continent, had to move their workforces to a remote environment. It lifted some lenses that previously were fairly anchored in place that the best way to do anything is face-to-face and in person. And I believe that what the last couple of years have shown us is – the same thing that I think my mother used to tell me all the time, and that is, is that there's a lot of ways to get the day done. <laughs> and you don't want to be so rigid in your approach that you forget that, once again, situationally, you can be very adaptive. So with that said, I do believe that we are um, embarking upon a forever blended model of our workforce and our, of our environment. I do believe that once again, going back to Ali, your statement beforehand about success, that it's the organization's responsibility to figure this out, not the employee's responsibility to figure this out first and foremost. And then Kathleen, to your point, I really believe that there is going to be a time frame here where we're trying a lot of new things to see what sticks. We're going to get a lot of snakes in the axles over the next <laughs> couple of years to, to reutilize that analogy. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot that happens. My recommendation for any organization, whether you are an organization of three employees, you know, or an organization of 3,000 employees, um, take the time to figure out what you're truly trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Take the time to figure out what mentoring means to your organization, what it means to the other party, what you expect out of it, and then realize that in a remote environment, you may have to be more intentional. It may take just a little bit longer, but if you're smart and you record stuff and you utilize a system that allows you to have that conversation in a more fluent fashion, you're going to get there a whole lot faster. I'm a big proponent of that. Mm-hmm. Well, and I would say I want to add one piece to that because something that I have heard um, time and again and witnessed myself is the lack of human connection over the last few years um, has taken a toll. And one of the things that we're learning how to do, and I think that um, 
I think that was a big snake in the axle moment. Um, but we're, we're figuring out how to bring that human component into a virtual setting and how to make those relationships still work um, regardless of where somebody's working, if they're at home, if they're in the office, if they're 10,000 miles away. I'm going to anchor that in trust. Mm-hmm. I believe that what you're referring to is because our normal interaction was disrupted, that we as individuals and as humans, that's sometimes very challenging. We've had to figure out how to trust Mm -hmm. someone that we can't see, touch, or feel. Mm -hmm. And when you think about it, um, now for me, it wasn't an adjustment because I've always traveled. I've I mean, you can lock me in a closet and I will work for days on end and not have to see daylight, let alone another human being, yep. if I have a great yep. project in front of me that I'm passionate about, right? Um, just somebody bring me food periodically. Um, so I do believe that, once again, it is mm-hmm. it is dependent upon the individuals. But overall, as a society, as a workforce, um, as mentors and mentees, we're learning how to retrust mm. our interaction. Mm-hmm without the physicality of interaction. Absolutely. That's really interesting and and just also, again, back to what we were talking about with generations. Um, Thinking about somebody who's coming out of college or out of high school and moving into the workplace and is new to the workplace, that's a tough transition anyway. I can remember all of a sudden when I had a job in a hospital and I was I had no idea that I wouldn't have the kind of support I'd had as a as a student, right? And all of a sudden you have to adult and and, <laughs> and that's sort of a big transition anyway. But as we move into this new hybrid model um, and building trust and building trust between those new employees, particularly who are just transitioning into the workplace, um, I would think um, for me, if I was in a in an administrative position now, I would really be keying into building those structures, as you've talked about before, for mentorship, for support, and really thinking about what these folks are going to need moving into it, because they may not have even been in a classroom f- for the last couple of years. You know, so they're yeah. they're just it's a different um, or more expanded role, I think. Yeah, and from my perspective, once again, I'm going to use that frame up to sixty model, right? Mm-hmm. Frame it up to sixty percent, because you may have some individuals that are going to move through that process quicker. And what I've come to understand is that if, in fact, we try to hold someone in a mentoring relationship or a mentoring um, you know role beyond what they themselves see value in that your your efficiency and your return on that investment goes down drastically mm-hmm. and it actually creates other issues so my recommendation is to always make sure that your structure has enough flexibility in it for the human being absolutely human-centered mm-hmm. yes that's great so right now Colleen if you could change um anything in the learning environment. I think you've talked about it moving forward. You're talking about ramping up to 60%. Um, what And what resources also are needed, particularly for those 21st century competencies? What are you seeing uh, businesses asking for as, for as far as content goes? Yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go back into my lean process improvement mindset for just a few moments here. Um, there's a great 
exercise that we take organizations through, and it's our unremiss or dis exercise. And in that exercise, we help organizations and their teams identify any of the key words that then relate to functions that start with unremiss or dis. Because if you mm. think about those words, they typically reflect upon um, inefficiencies, gaps in um, in performance, um, less than ideal success factors, um, so on and so forth. So when we think about mentoring, as a model and when we think about the unre misses or disses and what we would like to change it is the undocumented and undefined mentoring structure mm-hmm. it is the redos and repeat mentoring experiences because it wasn't thought thoroughly enough through to be meaningful to the person receiving the mentorship it is the dismissiveness and the distractions that organizations build on top of their mentoring moments because they're trying to fit it in or they're trying to make sure that somebody checks off a box in their onboarding process. It is the missed opportunities for long-term impact, long-term education, long-term movement um, because we're trying to just move something through and get something done. So. I mean, when I reflect upon all of those, those are the things that I think we need to change. Here's what I know to be true, though. Those are the same things that I would have said to you 20 years ago. (laughs) Exactly. Those are the same things that have been wrong with our educational process and our educational system and our workplace educational system for a long time. So I'm going to reflect upon intention as what really needs to change. Mm. The organizations that take this serious, the organizations that are intentional in developing a program that will actually change the pattern and the path long-term, systemically, not just for this day or this particular initiative, but long-term. Those are the organizations and the individuals that I think will benefit the most from, from that change. That's fantastic, I love that summary. Ali, did you have other questions? Oh gosh, I, you know this has been this has been incredible, Colleen. I really appreciate you it's coming fun. Thank today. You. I know, and it's so wonderful to be able to listen and take a peek into different sectors of what mentorship means, and really diving into the business community and what mentorship means for the business community. So, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your insights. Oh, it's my pleasure, and I, and I will say in closing. There are a lot of resources, local, state, federal, industry-based. There's a lot of resources out there um, as it relates to mentoring um, and the value of mentoring. Um, Do your research. Do your research and make sure that those that you are relying upon do operate Mm. from a position of um, learning, from a position of education. I think that's really important. Um, rather than solely from a position of task orientation or business mm-hmm. application. Um, because first and foremost, there's a human being that's going to walk through that door. There's a human being that's going to sit in that chair. And there's a human being that's going to have to try to figure out what you're telling them you need from them and then find themselves within it. That's amazing. Thank you again so much, Colleen. Absolutely. It's been fun. Thanks and for I'm, inviting me. I'm sure we'll be meeting again soon. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be my pleasure. <laughs> Colleen, thank you again so much. I know we'll continue this conversation uh, as we move forward in our business. And to the audience, please join us again for the Mentor Meetup, where we define, refine, discover, and figure out how to revolutionize learning through mentorship. Thank you.